all three of my daughters were vegetarian and my middle daughter Charlotte is a proselytizer salesperson and she wanted me to become vegan and she would show me the pictures of the horrible circumstances for animals and of course I knew the health benefits so I tried it and it did help my asthma that was a big payoff and I don't think that today 24 years later I would be as healthy as I am if I had not gone to a plant-based diet back then. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us. This is episode 78 of season four, number 273 overall. We're going to be doing things a little bit differently here today, outside the norm. We often focus on health and nutrition here on the exam room, and we give you all of the tools that you need to be a winner in that realm. But it's not often that we talk about mindset and the importance of having a positive mental outlook when it comes to success, whether it be with your health or even in your career. And for that today, we are going to talk with Brian Cressy. He is the author of the new book, Be a Winner. And Brian is also co-founder of one of the four largest private equity firms in the U.S. We're talking about managing billions and billions of dollars. And over a career that has spanned more than four decades, he has generated a reputation for strong financial growth and is widely thought to be one of the greatest investors and builders of companies and leaders in the financial world. Now, why does all of this matter on a plant-based podcast? Well, because he is more than just a money man. He has been following a vegan diet since 1997 and supporting organizations like the Physicians Committee that are also committed to educating others about the benefits that come with eating a healthy diet. And his efforts even extend to an addiction treatment center that he founded in Chicago. And it is there that they are using plant-based meals and nutrition education as part of the rehabilitation process. And indeed, his generosity and philanthropy is matched only by his success. And the hope for today is that you may be able to apply the same attributes that he will talk about that led to success in his life you take those attributes and apply them to your life so that you too can achieve the success in life and in health that you've longed for. Also today, we are cooking up a special treat for you. Get you even more fired up for success because we are going to be dipping into the exam room archives and revisiting one of the most popular segments ever in the history of the show. This is a live Q&A featuring both Dr. Neil Barnard and Dr. Michael Greger. Indeed, we covered a lot of ground that day, my friend. Everything from vitamin D and the immune system to the nutritional values of white and brown rice and so much more. They even offer their thoughts on whether vegans should get tested regularly for nutrient levels. How often do you need to monitor your blood? They're gonna talk about that 
and a whole lot more. So Drs. Barnard and Greg are coming up in just a little bit, but let's kick off this Nutrition Power Hour with inspiration and a conversation with Brian Cressy. Thank you so very much for being here. Chuck, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to be here because I love what you do and what PCRM does. When we were talking just before we hit the record button on the interview, we were talking about how kind of the fundamentals of succeeding in business also apply to succeeding in life. And for me and for millions of others, that means taking charge of their health. How is there a a big parallel in the terms of the mental outlook that is required to succeed in both realms? To succeed in both realms, I think, is pretty much the same. For me, it's being inspired by a vision. And people can do this. Where people often fall back and don't get their vision accomplished, several things. One is, I've learned plan backwards. Most people look forward to, what's the first step I should take to move towards this vision? And they don't get it right. They try. It doesn't work. Here's the secret to that. Look forward 10 years at it as a major success. Think about the details. And from there, back up a step. What was it one step before that and two steps? Like when we were little kids and had those matrixes and the puzzles where we had to learn to get out of the maze. We went to the middle and learned to work backwards. Same thing in planning your life. Go to the epicenter of what you're going to accomplish. Work backwards and the steps will be apparent to you. Doing it the other way, they're not. And ideas don't become action, don't become reality. I think that in cases, whether it be careers or health, uh, we put up these obstacles, oftentimes our own obstacles that we put there. Um, and so wh- why is it and, and what does it take to overcome some of these obstacles? Give you an example. Somebody who was, uh, say, 350 pounds and the doctor keeps telling them, like, look, you are on high blood pressure medication. Your cholesterol is too high. Uh, you are at the risk of heart disease and cancer and all of these chronic illnesses that we talk about. But the person just feels like there is absolutely nothing that they can do to change their outlook, to change what's going to happen happen to them 10 years down the line. How does one remove that barrier in their own mind so that they can take that step forward? Chuck, I look at three ways. One is you mentioned what's going to happen to them in 10 years. Most people see themselves as victims of circumstances. Things happen to them. When you change your outlook and say, I am responsible for my future, and then you add positivity, I can do almost anything. And then you start believing and seeing your future as a vision, you can change it. And so out of the victim role into I'm taking charge of my life. And I suspect the person you described took charge of their life. The second thing that holds people back, and we learn this in schools, don't make mistakes and therefore don't admit mistakes. Well, once we leave school, We have to make mistakes because success in life is empirical trial and error. Once you realize that and then you let your ego go and say, I make lots of mistakes. And I tried to teach my daughters, I make lots of mistakes, but I learned from them. And once you've made enough, you actually get pretty good at taking things where you want to. 
And I'd say the third piece to making things happen is inspiring yourself and people by looking at the vision and saying, what benefits mankind if this happens? How can I make it happen? And why am I enthused in becoming enthused and believing you can make it happen and you can. I, I love the second component to that the most is that make mistakes, right? Because I think that a lot of times on our health journeys, you know, we, we do these diets and we do really well for a couple of months, maybe even three, we lose a tremendous amount of weight. We're feeling good. We're looking better. Okay. All of our numbers are starting to improve, but then we make a little mistake. There's a little bit of a slip up. And I think far too often when we do make that mistake, there, uh, that becomes an excuse for us to just say, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I was right all along. There's nothing I can do to change my outlook. And then everything goes off the rails because a person stops believing in themselves. So what would your advice, Brian, be to somebody who has hit that roadblock and thinks, yep, this is the end of the line for me? One of the three keys to a wonderful, fulfilled life that I see is forgiveness. And guess what? It starts by forgiving yourself, recognizing you're imperfect. You do make mistakes, but looking at the positive, wow, I went this many days without doing what I don't want to do. So I made a mistake. I make them all the time. Everyone does. No one is mistake free. And I'm going to go forward and start counting the successes, the days I succeed. But learning to forgive yourself for mistakes is key. I feel it like an anchor behind you tied to your belt around your waist with a rope. If you don't forgive yourself, you're dragging that guilt anchor forward. Once you forgive yourself, it cuts that rope and you can run forward towards what you want to do and what you want to become. Let's talk about becoming a winner because the name of your book is Be a Winner. And I mean, I hate to toss such a softball question to you, but what is your definition of a winner? A winner, by my definition, can be quite different than what some people cynically think of a winner. To me, is a winner is someone who has a remarkably happy life because they help others, they set challenges and visions for themselves and work to achieve those, and fundamentally believe in win-win. They do not believe the world is a win-lose lose place. They do not believe life is a zero-sum game because I've learned it's not. I can win, you can win, he or she can win. Once you cast off win-lose and realize everyone can win, suddenly you connect with other people better. You have more fun doing things and everyone does win. So win-win is what a winner is and that winner creates other win-win people. That's my definition of a winner we want that we want to be with and that we want to be. Everyone can win. That is a poignant statement that I think that we would do ourselves a lot of good to just kind of keep that in mind. It's like everyone, and that includes yourself, can be a winner. I think that when you're you're having one of those rainy days in your mind and you and you're feeling down, I mean, you just take that out and you remember that. And that also could be one of the things that, you know, helps to remove those obstacles we were just talking about. Absolutely. I'll give an example. When I started an addiction treatment center for the poor and homeless, 
in a poor west side area of Chicago. And I did it with two goals. One is to create the best treatment in America, so it's innovative. Secondly, to serve the poor and homeless who would never get good treatment, serve them for free. As I went through that journey, I drove around the first winter looking for a location, a place to put it, to lease it. And I had no employees, it was just me. At times, I doubted. I told myself, Brian, you know this might, might fail, might not succeed. But what I learned to do is to say, Brian, this is gonna be a major success, banish that thought. So every time I think something might not work now, I tell myself, Brian, banish that thought. This can be a major success. And that recasts your mind into believing and positivity. And the world follows that. Those bring good things to what you're doing. So uh, that's an example where I was doubtful and I learned to believe. And I've done that ever since then, about six years ago. And now, Above and Beyond was named last year as the best treatment program in America, six years after its founding, because it is innovative and it is serving people that need it. And it's working well, not because of me, but because of the great people who were drawn magnetically to the vision and the adventure and the challenge of helping other people very much needing it and who are very, very grateful. Helping other people. That is something that uh, a lot of cynics might say is missing from healthcare nowadays, believe it or not. I mean, they will even coin the term sick care when they refer to the medical system here in the United States. But I know one of the philosophies that you cover in your book is that, you know, profits could be even better if the patient was, in fact, put first. You know, it, it would be the benefit to humanity um, over the you know, the desire to put money first. Am, am I correct in saying that? And and do you foresee a change in healthcare and in business toward actually putting the patient first and, and the benefit to humanity first above profits? The answer to the last question first, there is a gradual change and a virtuous one going on towards putting the patient and putting quality first. I've learned over the years, we focus on quality and the companies that we build that their highest quality actually are the most profitable. Quality is not a cost. It's a virtue and it helps profitability. So we aim to help patients and innovate to improve their lives and their outcomes. And it creates great companies. So in healthcare also, I wanna add that part of virtue are the outside things that affect health. As you mentioned, it's not just about um, pills. It's about the broader things that patients don't always understand. I learned nutrition actually helped me cure much of the asthma I'd had my entire life, going vegan and giving up dairy in that case and some other things. Patients don't realize they can be in charge of their health and there is so much they can do through nutrition, through exercise and positive belief in a positive future for their body and their health, they can recreate themselves and their health. Recreate, reinvent. I want to use those two words now when we talk about Above and Beyond, which is the uh, substance abuse and addiction care center that she started in Chicago. I mean, you're helping so many people there. 
Um, and these are people who are really in the deepest, darkest part of their life, rock bottom, um, as it's called. But talk to me about the approach that you use there to help these people reinvent themselves and get back on that healthier track. We used a totally different approach. When you walk in the door at Above and Beyond, it does not look like an institution nor a medical facility. It's like a very nice home with couches and interesting artwork and very cozy. And people say when they first step off the sidewalk, wow, the atmosphere is full of love. And I did that because I want them to start building self-worth again. That's one of the three key things I recognized in people that don't overcome their addictions. They don't love themselves. Well, we teach them again, you are lovable. And there's research that we use to help people fall in love with themselves again and see themselves positively and forgive their mistakes. The other things we do, I found that people that don't get well don't know their purpose in life. Once they discover their purpose and we help them do that, they work towards that, suddenly their life lights up. And our goal is to transform lives. And so we don't just help them with their addiction. We help them get jobs. We help them get housing so they can be healthy. And we even serve plant-based meals at Above and Beyond because we believe nutrition helps them heal as well. Finally, most treatment centers may have AA or one treatment program. A lot of people resist that. They rebel against it. They go, I don't believe I'm powerless. Well, for those people, we have five different treatment programs so that they can find one that fits their beliefs and their philosophy. And it works. And they choose the treatment program they go through along with the counseling and the behavioral therapy that we give them to help them understand how they don't have to react a certain way when there's a certain stimulus. So it's a very, very different place but it starts with love enveloping them when they walk in the door and they see people smiling and loving. Yeah, you talk about those those other services that are out there for addiction treatment, and it never really dawned on me that some of them do, in fact, use that word powerless. And I would think that, yeah, there is something to that notion of surrendering yourself and just accepting the fact that you have a problem. I think that that's what they mean when they say powerless. But at the same time, that mentally can be an awfully deflating word. Are you one of those individuals who do believe that words matter when you're trying to, I guess, improve yourself, improve your circumstances in life? Yes, Chuck, I very much believe that words matter. I mentioned the example of, Brian, this is going to be a big success. I believe in positive thinking and that the words matter. So when you tell someone they're powerful, and they're in charge, they realize I need to be responsible. And in fact, they are, because every moment of their life, they're with themselves and deciding what to do. So when you put positive words along with recognizing the joy of spreading love around themselves, loving their people they're with, and having fun, people after four days at Above and Beyond, many have come out of prison. They're hardened, they're cold and angry when they arrive. Four days later, you'll see them smiling and laughing. And they'll tell you, I couldn't believe the difference. I became my younger self again because of the love and the um, atmosphere at Above and Beyond. 
I want to go back to the nutrition component you were talking about as far as serving plant-based meals at Above and Beyond, but you do more than that. Don't you offer a little bit of nutrition education as well? We do. We try to teach um, nutrition and its importance because I mentioned in healthcare, it's critical broadly to a person's health. And we also have gotten PCRM to hold a food education seminar for our people. And we train them even how to shop plant-based in a food ghetto, in a food desert, in a food uh, lacking area. How do you do that? And we try to tell them uh, vegan foods that are nutritious and not expensive. And also we introduce them to food pantries where they can get good food. So it's really, really important. Food is foundational to our body and to our health. And we start there at Above and Beyond. And PCRM has been helpful in educating our people too. We hand out PCRM brochures that tell how to do these things. And where, where does all of this compassion and philanthropy come from in, in your life? Because, I mean, you, you have the, the, like this just enormous heart and the drive to help people that is so genuine. And then I think that the, the average person, if you ask them, well, you know, what, what personality traits do you think an ultra successful businessman will have or businesswoman will have? One of the last things that they will, will will mention is compassion, but you you have compassion first. What is driving you here, man? Yeah, I I have learned that a loving, compassionate life is the best life. I found great joy, which is different than what I get in business by helping others, and I want to do more and more of it because it's rewarding and makes me enthusiastic. And the way I describe it is in business, and I think this is true in school where you may do well, you have a happiness that oscillates. You become happy because you did something well, but then that wears off. And in fact, maybe something negative happens. So it's, there's a cycle. What I have found, for instance, at Above and Beyond, the joy I get from doing that, from helping the people and building Above and Beyond, that joy is persistent its level, it's always with me. And I believe it's because it's founded on helping others and love. And I just love that. And so I've now made my personal mission is to improve our world as much as I can while I'm here. That is my mission. And I do that in various ways. And I'm not perfect. I make a lot of mistakes, but I try hard and I thrive on the joy and love that comes from helping others. Let's go back to your personal nutrition here. Uh, it's the late 1990s, I think maybe 1997, uh, you adopt a vegan diet and that was at the urging of your daughter, correct? Yes, all three of my daughters were vegetarian and my middle daughter, Charlotte, is a proselytizer salesperson and she wanted me to become vegan and she would show me the pictures of the horrible circumstances for animals. And of course I knew the health benefits. So I tried it and it did help my asthma. That was a big payoff. And I don't think that today, 24 years later, I would be as healthy as I am 
if I had not gone to a plant-based diet back then. And when did the Physicians Committee first pop onto your radar? It was in the late 1990s. My daughter took me to a PCR event. It was a big event with several speakers. And I got enthused by what I heard. I hadn't realized so much good could be done for animals. And Dr. Barnard has an influence on me when he lays out the spectacular uh, tangible accomplishments he's made on behalf of animals and people's health, I just go, wow. So I get inspired by Dr. Barnard, by what PCRM was doing, and with my daughter's belief in it. And so I went forward um, carrying that with me ever since then. One of the concepts that you talk about, Brian, in your book is that of virtuous power. And I really like that, but I would love to hear more about it in your words, because I think that that can really open some minds for a lot of people who are listening and, and watching this today. I have learned about this empirically. I didn't invent it, but I'm living it. And what I've learned is, and this is helpful for all of us, there are magic powers out there to be utilized by any individual that does the right things. And they leverage our talents into great things. That's how I got above and beyond going and becoming so successful. Some other companies I've built, it's through virtuous powers. And what virtuous power is, it's having a vision that's virtuous and will help others. And when you describe it that way, and it's gotta be a challenge, not easy, like inventing the best treatment in America for the poor and homeless, that's a challenge. Great people are magnetically attracted to the challenge because they know, wow, that'll be an, an adventure. And it has so much benefit. I want to be part of that. Most people are bored with their lives, with what they do at work, bored. So the great people are just magnetically attracted. And I've seen others do it. You can do that when you have a vision that you speak about enthusiastically. That inspires people. And what do they do with that inspiration? One is they take action and action is a key. Without action, no great idea is a great idea because nothing happens. Great idea is great when it becomes reality. They take action and they innovate. And I've, in every company I have and above and beyond, I only want teammates who are innovative and don't have to be creative. Just tell people, try different things. Be free to make mistakes. Innovation leads to discovery, leads to success. So virtuous power draws magnetically great people and it draws other institutions that wanna help and it creates new ideas. People get great new ideas. So there's several things that come out of virtuous power. Anyone can do it if they use those elements. Do you think that, you know, if more people ap applied these principles to their own life and, and really strive to do virtuous power, um, do you think that there would be so much cynicism in the world? Or do you think that this could really be an opportunity for us all to move ourselves forward in a health standpoint, in a financial standpoint, in animal welfare standpoint, just basically every way imaginable? This is a way I've discovered, luckily for me, that really can move 
individuals, but that means our communities forward and even our society and get rid of some cynicism it, because it works. And what I've learned is most people spend about 85% of their waking moments thinking negative or hostile thoughts. When you transition that, and it can be done, over to living in love and positivity and catching yourself. Am I feeling love and positivity now? What do I do if I'm not? Here's what you do. Gratitude. I call it catching the Gratitude Express train, which will take you from hostility and hostile thoughts to love and positivity. As soon as you start giving gratitude for your desk, for the people in your life, for the people you admire, for nature, for the world around us, just thinking gratitude creates happier thoughts. And you can go to love and positivity and consciously spending most of your time there will make you a really productive person and improve your health and improve your financial success and improve your family and your love all around you. And I think uh, it could also make you a winner, flat out. That's that's the name of the book. And uh, this is available on uh, store shelves now and on Amazon, I would assume? Yes, come, it's released this Tuesday. So if you order it now, it will be here Tuesday. There you go. Brian Cressy, thank you so very much for your time today and bringing a new discussion to the exam room. You know, all about that PMA, that positive mental attitude. I love it so much because... The parallels to success in the business world apply certainly to the parallels to success in your own world for your own health. And I cannot thank you enough for making that connection for us here today, my friend. Thank you, Chuck, for all the good works you do. And thanks for having me with your wonderful audience. You'll find a link to order a copy of Brian's book, Be a Winner, in the episode notes. Okay, I promised a special treat, and it is now time to flash back more than 100 episodes, all the way back to one of the most downloaded shows in the history of the exam room. This is from the day that Dr. Neil Barnard and Dr. Michael Greger joined me to essentially break the vegan internet. We had so many people download this show. We made so many new exam roomies. And so I figured that we had the inspiration from Brian Cressy, and now it would be great to bring the science and the tips for health from two of the leaders in the nutrition world. Dr. Greger, Dr. Barnard, you guys ready to open up the doctor's mailbag? You bet. All right, Dr. Gregor, the first one comes to you. This is from Hogan. He's wondering if you could give an update on the role that vitamin D plays in reducing the risk for getting the coronavirus and other infections. There are certain nutrients like zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D that are critical for optimal immune function. But once you, ha once you have sufficient levels, there's no additional benefit uh, for immune function by adding extra on top of it. So we just need to have sufficient levels of nutrients. And where should we get them? Not the supplement aisle. We should get them in the produce aisle. Of course, vitamin D, the sunshine vitamin, um, is acquired through uh, adequate sun exposure. Um, and this is the time to be getting outside, enjoying 
of this wonderful weather. Really the greatest risk of transmission from um, the COVID-19 virus is confined indoor crowded spaces. Very few cases of transmission have been linked to outdoor transmission. So as long as you're social distancing, we should get out, uh, have fresh air, of course, continue to wear a mask um, um, and, 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 uh, and uh, sanitize or wash our hands before touching our mucous membranes, um, our eyes, nose, and mouth after touching a public surface. But um, uh, one of the reasons it's uh, good to go outside is to get um, the vitamin D if for whatever reason you can't go outside. And there are certain very vulnerable populations, elderly, frail populations, those over the age 65, 70, we really need to continue um, to maintain um, those critical social distancing because there's such higher risk of, of disease and death or people that come in contact with um, older or frail people. And so for anyone who needs, for whatever reason, to stay inside over prolonged periods of time, then you could take a, you know 2,000 international units of vitamin um, D a day. But Again, it really comes down to just getting sufficient nutrition. And the way we do that is center our diets around the healthiest foods out there. And that's fruits, vegetables, legumes, which are beans, flippy, chickpea, and lentils, and whole grains. Real food that grows out of the ground. These are our healthiest choices. Dr. Greger, our, my producer, Laura, just got my ear. She said, oh, my gosh, so many people are wondering, why isn't he on his treadmill today? Are you feeling okay? <laughs> Um, I, yes, I'm not on my treadmill. I am, uh, I'm actually uh, quarantined um, in, uh, in California, uh, treadmillless. Um, uh, so, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so do as I say, not as I do, and uh, go out and get some exercise. <laughs> All right, uh, sticking with you, next question is from DJ. If I eat plenty of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes, plus 50 to 100 grams of fiber a day, does it really matter at that point if I choose to eat white rice instead of brown rice? Well, you know, people don't realize that there are nutrients, these important polyphenol phytonutrients that are actually complex to the fiber. Um, and so uh, the same question could be said for people that uh, drink, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, juice, fruits and vegetables or something. You're like, look, I'm eating a whole food plant-based diet. I'm getting tons of fiber. Yes, when you juice fruits and vegetables, instead of blending them, you lose some of the fiber. But I, fiber is the last thing I need. But they don't realize you're not just throwing away the fiber when you juice fruits and vegetables. And you're not just throwing the fiber when you, when you uh, mill brown rice to white. You lose cr other critical phytonutrients, actually complex of the fiber, and actually only released into your body in the colon when your um, good bacteria eat the fiber, release the polyphenols, and then get absorbed into our bloodstream, circulate throughout our body, even get up into our brain. So many of the beneficial effects of fruits and vegetables and other whole healthy plant foods are actually attributed to these uh, to these compounds that are complex to the fiber. And so when you throw out the fiber, when you mill away the fiber, um, when you juice away the fiber, you're not just throwing away the fiber, you're throwing away as much as 80% of those polyphenol phytonutrients. So it's always better to eat whole foods whenever possible. Dr. Barnard, this next one is for you. It comes to us from Odanya on YouTube. How do you deal with the rapid changes from the crisis and still stay mentally okay? Uh, I mean, how could people cope with all the stress that we're under? Uh, many people have, have talked about that. And I think, first of all, nothing is going to make the world uh, a safe place 100%. And, and there is stress that we're going to have to live with. Um, nonetheless, there are certain things that we can do. Um, a few basics. Uh, going to sleep is a good idea. Going to sleep, I, I personally have a rule. When the clock strikes 10, no matter how good the book is that I'm reading or 
the video that I'm watching or now, or no matter how important the assignment is that I'm working on, I go to sleep. I'll pick it up the next morning. I may get up early if I need to. But if setting a time to go to bed that's reasonably early will make you much better balanced during the day. Um, but if you lie down to sleep, you'll find your eyes just aren't closing because you've been working like crazy. You might not have been getting any physical exercise. So as Dr. Greger was saying, it's good to get out and exercise because exercise makes your limbs and your body tired and tired muscles then demand sleep. Um, a healthy diet it is surprisingly helpful as well for anxiety and for sleep as well. Um, and we don't 100% know the reasons for this, but we did a research study with Geico, in 10 the, the car insurance company, in 10 different cities. And we used a plant-based diet to help people lose weight and improve diabetes. And along the way, we discovered that depression improved and anxiety improved. And other researchers have found the same kind of thing. What we think is happening is that the diet improves the gut bacteria, which feed back to the brain in, in a in a in kind of a two-way street, um, but it also the diet is anti-inflammatory. So what am I saying? Um, we can't make all the stress go away. Getting a good night's sleep is important. Uh, many people, by the way, will also meditate or do yoga. Good idea. Uh, physical exercise is an anxiety producer, uh, reducer in and of itself, and it helps you to sleep better. And a healthy diet will power all of those things forward too. So not a complete answer, but hopefully that'll be helpful. All right, Dr. Greger, putting the ball back in your court. We have time for just a couple more questions. This next one is from Ruth. She wants to know, Dr. Greger, how can I lower estrogen levels naturally? Well, that's uh, what fiber can do. Fiber can actually pull excess estrogen out of the body. Um, uh, and if you're, I, I, I have to dig a little deeper into this question. So, for example, if you're concerned about breast cancer, um, uh, the... Um, um, there are uh, a, a number of foods that have been associated with uh, significantly reduced breast cancer risk. So, for example, soy foods, uh, particularly started uh, at a younger age, uh, are associated between 30 to um, 50 percent lower breast cancer risk later in life. Um, and uh, and and then those with breast cancer, estrogen receptor positive or not, ontamoxifen or not. Um, there's now been a half a dozen studies done with thousands of breast cancer survivors, and those who consume soy foods actually um, have reduced cancer recurrence rates. Um, so I uh, would encourage people to um, include soy foods in the diet. They have both uh, anti-estrogen effects where we want them in the breast, but pro-estrogenic effects where we want them, for example, um, increasing skeletal um, uh, bone strength and, uh, and uh, decreasing hot flash symptoms of menopause. Um, also, uh, ground flax seeds. I encourage people to go to nutritionfacts.org um, and you can pick your condition, whether you're concerned about menopausal symptoms or you're concerned about breast cancer risk. You just type it in nutritionfacts.org and all um, uh, the, the research will pop up. But of course, all I do is I, I pull all the research together. It's the amazing work of Dr. Um, uh, Neil Barnard, PCRM, that's actually done the studies. There'd be no videos on nutritionfacts.org. I deserve no credit other than just pulling together all the great research that's already been done. Um, and uh, that's why I'm so appreciative um, to uh, Dr. Barnard and PCRM for all the amazing work they do and looking forward to doing more videos based on any studies they have currently in the works. All right. And Dr. Bernard, this one comes to us from Pat on Facebook. Should I get a regular blood test while on a plant-based diet? If so, what should I be looking out for? Okay. Uh, by the way, let me uh, let me add on to what uh, Dr. Greger was just mentioning about getting away from estrogens. Uh, he's he's absolutely right. Boosting fiber helps. One other thing: 
skip cheese. Surpri sounds surprising, but dairy products have estrogens in them that come from cows. We used to think that the traces were really unimportant, uh, but we now do think that, that uh, it's enough to actually affect reproductive function and probably cancer risk too. Okay, so getting bl a blood test. Um, it's on, I'm guessing the questioner didn't say which particular blood test she's thinking about, but when you go see your doctor, um, your doctor will be, if the doctor is not too clued in about diet um, and you say you're following a vegan diet, you're probably well-meaning but ill-informed doctor might start worrying about protein and things. That's actually the last thing you need to worry about. You are almost certainly getting more than more than enough protein. Uh, but there are some things that I think are worth looking at. Um, many doctors nowadays are rightly looking at vitamin D levels in patients um, just to make sure that they're adequate. For many people, they're low. And then you need Dr. Greger's advice, which is get out, get some sunlight. And if you can't get sunlight, then a supplement makes sense. So a vitamin D test is not a bad idea. Um, it's good to get your cholesterol tested, especially if you're not on a plant-based diet, because those rising numbers will motivate you to get on a plant-based diet. The number you want to look at is especially your LDL cholesterol, low-density lipoprotein or bad cholesterol. If it's above 100, good time to start a vegan diet. And whatever it is, it's a good time to start a plant-based diet. Those are a few. Um, some people will look at their B12 levels, but the fact of the matter is that if you're on a plant-based diet, you, you really need to be supplementing vitamin B12, which kind of takes the testing, um, may, makes it less urgent. So I hope those are a few uh, helpful observations. All right, Dr. Barnard, and the final question is with you. This one from Sandy. Can you comment on nuts? Is there a recommended maximum? Um, there, there's No, there, there isn't a recommended maximum, but, but I do have a rule of thumb. And it's based on the idea that nuts are healthful in many ways. Um, they've got lots of healthy compounds in them, but they also are really fatty and they can be a bit addicting. So you take those smokehouse almonds and pour them into your hand and, you know, 17 handfuls later, you realize, gee, I think I might have overdone it. Um, you're getting a lot of fat and a lot of calories. So my recommendation is an ounce a day. Um, and an ounce a day is if you pour them into your hand, once it hits your fingers, um, that's when it's more than an ounce, but if it's just in your palm, that's about an ounce. And then don't eat it, crumble it up and put it on your cereal or, or uh, on your salad or something like that. So if you use them as an ingredient, you're not going to refill your hand and, and uh, overdo it the way you would if it was a snack food. So that'll get you going. If you are trying to lose weight, if you're trying to reverse diabetes, my suggestion, set the nuts aside for now. That was the day that we broke the vegan internet. <laughs> we originally taped that segment during the summer of 2020, and this was just a few months into the pandemic, and Dr. Greger was already on top of it, getting ready to release his book, How to Survive a Pandemic. And there's a link to order a copy of that book right now in the episode notes. We got a lot of great tips and advice on today's show, both from Brian Cressy and Drs. Barnard and Gregor. And so you hopefully are feeling fired up and ready to make changes in your life to get healthy. Maybe you're ready to introduce more fruits and vegetables into your diet for the very first time, or maybe you're a long time vegan who feels like, eh, I could use some fine tuning. 
In either instance, the doctors and dietitians at the Barnard Medical Center can help you. They would love to help you. So schedule an appointment today by visiting barnardmedical.org or by calling 202-527-7500. Telemedicine visits are available and insurance is accepted. So visit barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500 for a full list of states where services are available. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Brian Cressy, as well as Drs. Neil Barnard and Michael Greger. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>